five, four, three, two, one. One of the largest pro wrestling events in the country, WrestleCade, returns to Winston-Salem. November 24th to the 26th. Meet your favorite wrestling stars. Experience live wrestling events. Shop for exclusive wrestling merch and more. Three days of family-friendly fun for fans of all eras. During WrestleCade, November 24th to the 26th. Your chance to meet the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. It all goes down at the Benton Convention Center in Winston-Salem. Get your tickets now at WrestleCade.com. Ladies and gentlemen, from the studios in the wrestling capital of the South, it's another terrific episode of The Binge Buster Show. Please welcome your host, Tony Binge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another great edition of The Binge Buster Show. And I have been waiting uh, with excitement to do this week's show uh, as uh, we're getting closer to WrestleCade, as you heard at the top of the program, WrestleCade is just right around the corner, and uh, lots of uh, lots of chances to meet your heroes, your the people you love, the people you love to hate. But this year, a special attraction. Uh, I know a lot of people uh, would love to get their hands on a actual Ric Flair robe. Uh, well, you can't really put your hands on it, but you can definitely take a photo with it. As my guest this week is none other than the owner of the original Ric Flair Starcade 83 robe. Uh, let's bring to the show right now, Mr. West Potter. West, how are you? Man, I'm doing good. I'm doing great, man. Looking forward to WrestleCade and, uh, just hanging out here in the beautiful, great state of North Carolina. Man, I tell you, uh, that, that's the great thing about about North Carolina is uh, it doesn't matter what time of year it is, you get all the seasons. Because the last few weeks it's been summer, then we went we went straight from summer right to fall, back to summer. Uh, so now we're starting to get back into the fall weather. Uh, I know there in Greenville where you live, uh, you're you're a little bit closer to the coast than I am, but uh, but I'm, I'm sure the weather there is just as beautiful as it is here. Yeah, man, it's uh, I always say we're the greatest state in the union in North Carolina, and you give us uh, give us a week, and we'll go through uh, summer, fall, winter, spring, all in one week, uh, just just like you said. So if you don't like the weather, uh, just hang around for uh, a few hours, and it's bound to change. Yeah, so you get the full experience here in the Parkville state. <laughs> that, that, that is definitely true. Uh, no, uh, uh, speaking of North Carolina, have, have, are, are, are you originally from North Carolina? Like, like, have you been here your whole life? Man born and bred brother. Yeah. Same here. I, I was born in a, right outside of Charlotte. And, uh, then I grew up in the, uh, Greensboro high point area. Uh, and then, uh, met my wife and moved back to the Charlotte area. And now this is where I live. My, I got me a house here now, so I'm probably not going to be going anywhere at least for the uh, next uh, 30 years. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, but I'm here for, uh, here for a while. So I'm, I'm, I, I like it here. And, and, uh, I, I, I wish that I, I would have moved here a lot sooner, like in back in the eighties, uh, because I live in a little town called Mooresville, which is right outside of Charlotte. Uh, and uh, as you know, and a lot of the wrestling fans that listen to this program probably knows, um, in the, uh, early eighties, 
uh, Nelson Royal, uh, of course, he, his his Western store is still here. As a matter of fact, it's like two miles from my house. But right in behind his store uh, used to be a barn. And from what I understand, uh, he used to train a lot of guys. And he and the Andersons would get in there and, and stretch a few guys and uh, you know, make them wonder if they really, really wanted to be in the sport of pro wrestling. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, when you talk about, uh, you know, North Carolina, obviously we've got a, a rich history, um, you know, pretty, pretty much in, and gosh, man, I mean, probably all the, the major sports to a degree, right. And, and you talk about kind of moving, uh, you know, here and, and everything that we get to experience, uh, you know, kind of like you said, I'm over here towards the coast. Um, I always say, I'm like, you know, what, what more are you looking for? You can go to the east and you've got the coast. You can go to the west and you've got the mountains. Uh, if you don't like either one of those, land somewhere in the middle, get towards uh, Greensboro, Charlotte, whatever it is. Yeah. And um, you're, you're kind of landlocked there and you're good. So we, we've got everything there is to offer. But um, I, I've been to Nelson Royal store uh, there in Mooresville. And, you know, it's it's obviously a neat little little place um just from a, a kind of a western you know merchant perspective but um man you know when you talk about mooresville being from north carolina you know before we had uh long before we had the panthers and before we had uh the hornets or the bobcats uh you know we we pretty much had two things which was you know wrestling and stock car racing and you know mooresville is kind of the hub Obviously, as you know, if you're living there for uh, um, stock car racing, you know, a lot of the race teams are kind of uh, anchored in that area. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the heritage that we have from uh, the sports perspective of uh, the wrestling and the racing. And, of course, you know, we've always got the Duke-UNC rivalry and all those great things that are kind of going on there. So, uh, you know, if it's, if it's North Carolina um, – if it's pro North Carolina, I'm I'm all for it. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember as a young boy, um, you know, long before cable vision was was a big thing, uh, you know, here in the Charlotte area, you you had two things. Like like you said, you had uh Jim Crockett's Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling and then you had stock car NASCAR racing. Sure and uh that was uh that was pretty much uh you know, the the the, the two biggest draws uh in this area uh and the cool thing incidentally the the same fans that was going to nascar races were the same fans that was going to jim crockett's mid-atlantic championship wrestling so um so it was a big deal uh you know back back in those days you know back in the <clears throat> 80s and stuff and i can and even still to this day i mean i, I i've been living in mooresville now for about uh 12 years um and it, and when when the race is in Charlotte, it's still you know our our streets get really busy and we get a lot of traffic from all the fans driving in and they want to you know come to the race shops and hopes to get a glimpse of one of the drivers and uh, I know when the race is in town, uh, it's it's not you know it's definitely not odd to look up in the sky and see a helicopter flying from the from the race shops back down to the racetrack. Um, I see that all the time. And, uh, when I first moved here, I would ask my wife, I'm like, why is all these helicopters up here? And she's like, Oh, that's all the race car drivers, you know, 
flying from the race shop back to the airport, or, or, or I'm sorry, back to the racetrack uh, in Charlotte. Um, that that way they're not stuck in the traffic. I'm like, wow, that's that, that, that's pretty amazing. So, uh, so it's a big thing. But uh, speaking of a big thing, uh, our show tonight we're going to be talking about the original uh, Starcade 83 robe. We're going to be learning a whole lot of stuff about this robe. Uh, I know I'm going to be learning things I probably didn't know, and um, and uh, so and uh, hopefully our listeners will too. Um, but getting to uh, or speaking about Starcade. You know, when I was a kid, uh, the only Starcade I got to go to was 1986, and that was probably one of the most popular ones, uh, you know, here in the Carolinas at the time. Um, but 83 was really big because uh, I'm sure a lot of people heard uh, there was a snowstorm that night, and they uh, didn't think that, it, you know, they were going to even be able to do the show. Um, so, uh, but lo and behold, it did, and the show happened, and from that point on, uh, Starcade become like the mainstay. Uh, everybody looked forward to it here in the Carolinas uh, from 83 all the way to 86. And after 86, it kind of moved away. But uh, but 83 was, was, was the one that we're talking about tonight. Uh, and that, that was kind of like the first time. Well, it wasn't really the first time that we saw the robe, but uh, that, that show is kind of what made that robe popular, right? Yeah, um, I think, you know, when when wrestling fans or at least some of the the fans I've kind of interacted with um, over the years, if you, if you kind of pull back in your memory (laughs) a little bit, you know, it, it typically goes back to um, Starcade 83. If we talk about Jim Crockett promotions, or you're talking about Ric Flair, or you're talking about, um, you know, memories from the eighties for anybody that, was a wrestling fan or certainly anybody that was a wrestling fan in North Carolina, it kind of goes back um, to that one event as being sort of the standout memory. You know, if it's uh, people that were there that I talked to and they remember the snowstorm or they remember, uh, of course, the match with Harley at Starcade 83 or the fact that, you know, that was kind of where Ric Flair sort of started to cement his legacy and, and those visual images you kind of get in your mind, it, it all goes back to kind of that, that moment and that match, but kind of like you alluded to earlier, you know, the robe was, um, the robe was actually. Eighty-three uh, with that robe. Uh, the, I think the one thing that kind of stands out is always, you know, Starcade '83 is where everybody kind of goes back to. Yeah. Now, uh, speaking of the robe, do you know what what year the robe was actually made? You know, that's a great question, and and I don't with certainty. But what I can say is is you know over the last few years, I originally uh, my original thought for probably the better part of a decade. Um, from say 2000 to 2010, probably that 10 year span, I was always of the mindset that the robe originated somewhere around 1980, 81, but probably in the last five to eight years, um, after that, I actually saw a picture, um, that was dated from 78, of him, uh, of Ric Flair wearing the Starcade robe. So wow. I, it at least goes back to 78. 
um, which I'm pretty sure is probably had to be when it was made. I, I, I just don't imagine that it, it, you know, sort of predated that time period. Right. Um, and it was so elegant and so, um, uh, sort of uh, boisterous for lack of a better word. Uh, I don't know that he actually wore it much from 78 until probably about 81. Um, because it was so, uh, uh, you know, flashy that I think he honestly probably tried to save it for, um, what he probably hoped would be, you know, his first title run, which came, uh, you'll have to fact check me here, but I think it was September of 81. Um, yeah, I guess that's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so even though he probably had it in 78, I don't think he wore it that much. Uh, he's probably saving it, so to speak, until, uh, 81 when, uh, he first took the title off of Dusty for a short period and he did wear it for that match, um, in 81 against, uh, Dusty and, and gosh, I think that was in Kansas city. Yeah. If I remember. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, it goes back to at least 78. So unless I'm wrong with what still is kind of out in the marketplace today, that's probably one of the oldest robes that still is definitely a significant robe in existence today, but um, probably one of the oldest as well, if not the oldest. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know I mean, it's, it's, it's up there in my top, my uh, definitely my top three favorite flare robes of all time. Um, but, uh, but I mean, it's, it's, it's such a, 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 a significant part of his history, uh, because, uh, basically, you know, when Starcade 83 came around, you know, or prior to 83 and uh, whenever they would announce Ric Flair, they would say he was from Minneapolis, Minnesota. And it wasn't until probably 83, um, is Starcade 83 is, is kind of when he started saying, you know, Charlotte was his new home. So I know a lot of people at least me, at least I thought this until you just said that, but I always thought that he had that robe made because it's Carolina blue and, and it's kind of like his way of saying, Hey, I'm, I'm a Carolina boy now. But, but now that you've told me that it was made maybe in 78, that, that takes it to a whole different level at that point. Well, you know, that's a good thought. And I, I don't know that, that, that your thoughts necessarily wrong, because, uh, you know, if we if we kind of turn the clock back, I think he um, had his first match in the Carolinas in 74 um, when he was tagging with Rip Hawk. Yeah. So, again, I have to fact check me. So he had, you know, he may not have been sort of a permanent residence here um, and kind of going back and forth, maybe from Ghana's territory to here. But he was beginning to to sort of plant seeds here, uh, so to speak. So even if the robe was made in 78 and it didn't necessarily gain notoriety until 81 or, or later 83, um, I, I don't know that you're wrong with that thought process as far as, uh, the color scheme. When, when we think about that, um, you know, there's been several, uh, either promos or interviews with, with Ric Flair over the years where he's mentioned um, the Tar Heels or I've been at matches when he was still in WCW where he mentioned Duke basketball. And so if you think about sort of the branding and the colors there of 
the dark blue of Duke, the Carolina blue of, of the Tar Heels. And just to kind of throw it back to what we were talking about earlier with, with the stock car theme, um, you know, if you think North Carolina and stock car racing or just stock car racing in general, you probably think of Richard Petty. You think of the Petty Blue, which if you see this robe in person is is very much a Petty Blue. So it's, it's, it's almost a, a calling card to these brands and these colors that are very much North Carolina. Um, so I don't know how intentional that was. On his part, I think it was very intentional on uh, the seamstress's part, Olivia Walker, to uh, begin to uh, transition this, what we call today in 2023, the brand of Ric Flair. You know, in 1978 or 1980, she was uh, probably way ahead of the curve uh, in terms of creating this brand and the these color patterns that represented, you know, what he was going to do in terms of his place in the business, but also a calling card to uh, transition his his brand from maybe Minneapolis, Minnesota to Charlotte, North Carolina. So I don't know that you're far off with that thought. I mean, I think all of it plays a part in, in getting him from A to B and, you know, we'll, we'll claim him over here in North Carolina, even though, uh, you know what, I think he was born in Memphis and then started the career, you know, in the Minneapolis territory, but, you know, we'll take claim for him over here in Carolina. So, yeah, I, I don't think, now, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. As far as the 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 robe itself, um, it like like the, the the cloth part of it is is that like a um, uh, is 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 that like a velvet material or is it more of a more of a like a um, what's the word I'm looking for uh, like a nylon? The the um the composition of the whole thing is really um. You know, uh, Olivia Walker was really an artist. I mean, and I say that, um, you know, not just to sound cliche, but if, if you see her work, and, I, and I've had a chance to see not just some of her stuff for Ric Flair, but some of the other wrestlers that she she made, um, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, costumes for. Yeah. Man, those would hold against, uh, you know, things that were made for Elvis, um, things that were made for Liberace. Um, Anything Hollywood uh, costume designers could come up with, she would she'd be able to not just hold a candle to them, but probably, you know, uh, tuck them in the bed and kiss them on the forehead good night, as Ric Flair would say. She was that good. So um, if you if you look at the composition, I'm not quite sure. I guess it's probably almost a, a very sort of heavy duty knit, probably cotton, very thick, very heavy. Uh, just the composition of the garment that when you add the weight of all the sequins that are on the cape in the back, you know, this thing's weighing 30, 40 pounds, um, you know, just as a garment. But but yeah. one of the really things that a lot of people uh, either haven't seen and I haven't really shared uh, publicly uh, when, when Charlotte uh, came here for the treasure show, I think one of the things that kind of caught her by surprise, she was really amazed at, is the attention to the detail that Olivia Walker would put into this thing to wear, you know, not just the garment itself or the external uh, visuals that we all saw as fans, but, you know, underneath all this is is a liner. 
right? You know, if you're a man and you wear a sport coat, you've got a liner on the inside, but nobody ever sees that. It's on the right. inside of your sport. Um, the liner that's on the inside of this robe is a peacock fabric. And I don't even know where you find something like that, but just the attention to detail. Um, and, and I'll share this over on, um, we've got a new Facebook page uh, out there. This uh, It's actually called Ric Flair Starcade 83 Robe. And um, on that page, I'm sharing some some pictures that have never uh, been seen before, one of which will be that liner that's got those peacocks on it and just her attention to detail with stuff like that. It's it's just out of this world. Um, you know, not only the creativity, how she came up with it, but how she put it all together in such a just a, a wonderful, you know, artistic presentation. Yeah. Now, now. On the cape part, on the inside, like 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 if you look in that, as Flair has his hands opened up, um, and the uh, the uh, silver uh, part inside is 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 that like like sheets of sequins or is it individual sequins sewn together? So it's individual sequins sewn together. It's wow. one by one, hand by hand. Uh, you know, and that's one of the differences. Uh, in her work versus other people's, you know, you um, you can take sort of the easy way out, which is, you know, maybe you just buy a sheet of sequins that are already pre-applied and you sew it into a garment and that can be done. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it could be done back then. Um, but she chose to hand apply each one of these. Um, I mean, literally, if you picture um, a, a fishing line, right, the, the thin... Uh, sort of dexterity of a fishing line and then to uh, hand apply a sequin to that and then tie a knot after it so that it doesn't move wow. and then apply another tie a knot after that and then to multiply that by you know 10 or 15,000 I don't even know how many sequins are on that cape I mean that's a tremendous amount of patience and detail for which I have way too much OCD to deal with yeah um but let alone to apply in such a aesthetic fashion. Um, and that's what separates her work from other, other works that came after, you know, later in his career when he had some things made by um, WWE um, or other, uh, you know, robe makers or um, gear makers, they, they didn't take that necessarily that, that same attention to detail and that's not to discount their work, but um you know, we're, we're a faster paced society now. So maybe you, you go for that route where you've got the whole sheet of sequins already ready and you just sew it in and cut it and you alter it to how you need it. But back then, man, everything was hand applied and it's, it, it's very obvious when you look at it up front, you know, the, it's almost like you can feel each, each, uh, intentional, uh, you know, intentional movement that, that she put into every single bead sequin uh, feather that was applied to that robe. It's, it's unbelievable. And, and, you know, looking at that robe, uh, one, one of the things that catches my eye about it, if you look at all of Ric Flair's robes, they all fastened with a belt, but this one zips. Yeah. So this one zips up front and, you know, kind of uh, to, to throw back to what we were talking about, earlier with the color scheme and, and the uh, sort of North Carolina uh, references. Um, I think there was also a very intentional uh, move uh, by Olivia Walker to capture sort of uh, the presence 
that you know Ric Flair would eventually become known for. But if we look at 1980 or 82 or 83, maybe he was in the process of building that presence, but he wasn't quite known for that. And that was the entrance, the mystique, this uh, sort of, um, you know, I've walked in the room, everybody's going to stop and look at me kind of presence Mm -hmm. uh, that really the only other entertainer to that point in, not just in sports, but I say entertainer, I mean, um, you know, from comedians to actors, to entertainers, singers, wrestlers, uh, the only person that really captured that was, was Elvis Presley. And so I think she probably channeled um, uh, some of that spirit, because if we go back and probably look at Elvis's um, uh, Aloha from Hawaii and um, you know, again, you'll have to fact check me and, and look and see what year that was, but you know, it was some years before Starcade 83, but Elvis had, you know, had those, um, jumpsuits crafted mm-hmm. and at one point the the sort of uh eagle what's called the eagle jumpsuit that had the cape in the back and so i, I kind of like to think is is more as i've kind of looked at the history and the evolution of uh her work and then rick flair's brand and his entrance and things like that that mystique she really kind of captured a lot of that uh eagle jumpsuit and cape motif and obviously altered it to fit Ric Flair, but it's very much uh, kind of a, a beautiful marriage of, uh, you know, the mystique of Elvis and the building of the brand of Ric Flair that that sort of manifested itself with with this robe. So she did a good job of, of capturing, I feel like, that spirit of, of both of those entertainers. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's definitely a, a, a beautiful robe. It, I mean, I, I'm sure it's it's beautiful um, it, it, when you look at it in the pictures, but I'm sure it's like most things, pictures doesn't do it justice. It doesn't, and even even today with um, the fact that it's, you know, if it was crafted in, in 78, you know, we're, we're looking at, gosh, what? You know, we're getting close to 45, 50 years here, right? Right, yeah. On this obviously it's just it's an old article of clothing uh first off um but to think about the matches that it's been in the travel that it's experienced it's been to japan and back and you know all over the mid-atlantic all over you know pretty much the country and so you look at the travel and the wear and tear and things like that the fact that it's experienced so much um exposure to the element and it still survives let alone in a condition where it's even, you know, somewhat presentable is really not only amazing in itself, but then again, it's also a testament to her work right. that, you know, all the applied sequence we talk about are still together and they've held up. Um, I do remember right after I first got the robe, um, which would have been, you know, 98, 99, uh, I actually uh, called Olivia Walker. I got her number and uh, called her on the phone because I was considering having that robe restored because it it does have some damage. And I only wanted her to touch it since she was the one that, you know, obviously created it. And um, I remember when I called her, she was actually heading out of the house uh, for her birthday. It was her birthday uh, when I had called her. And uh, we plan to to sort of reconnect to talk about getting the robe 
restored. But I remember in the brief conversation that I had with her, um, she mentioned that uh, as we talked about the cape and the sequins, that he had taken it over to Japan, which I'm thinking was probably some of the matches he had with Kerry Von Erich. Right, yeah. And took it over there, and he had uh, come out for his entrance to a match, and the robe got, he opened it up in the cape-like fashion, and uh, he got snagged on a guardrail. And so part of those sequins just ripped right off of the, you know, sort of the back uh, of the robe. Uh, inside of the road, but that back support piece had just ripped a whole line of sequins. And so it just kind of, you know, flopped and fell over. And uh, so he had to have it fixed for the next night because he only brought one road with him. So uh, in her words, as uh, she said to me, he took it to another seamstress and she botched it up. Those were her words wow. um, that, that botched it up. And so if you actually look at the composition of the symmetry of how those of those sequins are applied on the inside of the robe, you can actually see a jagged line that looks like it ripped and then it was reapplied. Uh, maybe by somebody who didn't quite capture that same, uh, you know, feeling that she had, but they did the job in the moment and they got it done. So it's still there, right? When you look at it today. And so I never had that fixed. Uh, she passed away, unfortunately, um, after that initial conversation and she, uh, she never had a chance to uh, repair the road, but, um, I think it's a really cool story that, you know, he took it to Japan it got ripped. Somebody else messed it up in terms of the repair, but it's still there when you look at it today. So to me, that just kind of adds to the oh yeah mystique of what the, the history of, of what this thing's been through and how it, it still survives today. And yeah. And how, and, and it's still here. So, um, any idea what the original price of the robe was when Flair had it made? So that's a good, uh, that's a really good question. I'm not, I'm not sure. I know that um, obviously as he's given some, some prices and interviews over the years, uh, I think, you know, at one point, some of the, the prices for his robes obviously were, were getting close to the, the five, the eight, the ten thousand dollar range. So, if we adjust that for, you know, inflation in today's dollars, uh, you know, you're talking about some serious money back then, but more serious money today. Um, but, but my guess is probably, you know, back then, um, I'm thinking probably around the four thousand dollar number. I don't mm -hmm. know what that is adjusted for today's money, but. When I did talk to her about um, the repairs, and she mentioned that about the other seamstress, um, you know, botching up the job, she did mention that all of the, the you know, she only used the very best materials to make the robe with. And um, for the rhinestones, they were only Austrian crystals. They had to be, uh, if you're familiar with the... Yeah. Um, I think it's Swarovski. I can't. I can't quite pronounce it, but I'm sure you. You know what I'm talking yeah. about. If you've been in the market, yeah. there's yeah. the high end. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty crisp. Yeah, the difference. In the, yeah, the difference in those, I think, is the fact that they're clear. But when the light hits them, it gives like a rainbow effect. Um, Absolutely. Versus and that's just. Why she, yeah. Yep. She was very adamant on. Uh, you know, it had to be that particular uh, clear crystal, and. 
you know, at that time when I talked to her, which would have been around, you know, 1999, 2000, um, she had said that the, the rhinestones were, when she was making things for Dusty or Greg Valentine or Rick Flair, you know, they were around two bucks a pop on those, those rhinestones. Right. And so, you know, some of those robes, you know, depending on what robe it is, you know, you're looking at hundreds and hundreds of those rhinestones. Right, so you yeah. could be talking a grand just in the rhinestone costs, not, not even the application of them. And all these are, they're hand applied. They all have these uh, grommets that and they're come through the fabric yeah. and, and, and they're crimped into the fabric. So it's a, it's a very labor intensive process. So if, if you just think about that, you know, I'm, I'm sure she, you know, obviously Olivia Walker was, was married to Johnny Walker who um, had some fantastic gear himself. And so I'm sure she probably, uh, you know, uh, provided a lot of the guys with uh, the, the uh, friends and family discount, if you will, right? in yeah. terms of created, but, but probably undersold herself in terms of the value that she brought to a lot of these guys' brands. You know, Dusty had great robes, Greg Valentine, Terry Taylor, Lex Luger, Ric Flair. You know, all these guys, a lot of their imagery that we picture today is because of her. So she probably uh, cut a lot of discounts with her husband being in the business and trends of of the wrestlers probably more than maybe what she should have. So if Flair paid $4,000 for it, it, it maybe should have been a $7,000 robe, even right. at that time. Yeah. Right? So just, I mean, incredible. Yeah, you know, I was listening to one of his podcasts, and they, they had that, you know, Ask Rick Anything. And one of the questions was, you know, um, how much, how much, you know, did it, uh, what, what was the average that he paid for the robes? And he said most robes that he had made, he paid 10 grand for, uh, except for, and he said the most expensive robe that he ever had made was the one for his retirement match. And he paid 15 grand for that one. Um, and of course now that one I believe is, is in the Smithsonian. Um, that's right. But, yep. uh, but I mean, but even if you look at that one, I know they were trying to make that one look similar to the Starcade robe. Um, yep. but I, I for, for me, you know, I'm old school, but, um, I didn't like the big flower in the center that was like, I guess, holding the cape on, um, yep. and, and how, how it buckled all the way up to his neck and it didn't like, you know, have that V that most of his robes had, um, yep. That that was one of the things about that robe that, that I disliked the most, uh, but it, it was it was a nice robe. But you can definitely look at that robe and look at, a, at at an Olivia Walker robe, and you could definitely tell the difference. And, and that's what I'm talking about when we talk about the sequins being applied in the cape, right uh, inside of that robe. When he would hold hold his arms up, you know the the material that they used. Um, for that was a much cheaper, more easily accessible, more efficient process to just apply to that robe. And probably, yeah, it probably kept the cost at $15,000. Um, had they had the time or the ability to hand apply like she did all those sequins, if he says he spent 15 on that one, then to achieve that look, it probably would have been $30,000, $35,000 because you're talking about the time to apply each one of those, 
you know, nearly impossible for, you know, I think at the time WWE probably had two or three seamstresses up there. So, I mean, it's almost an impossible task for them to service the whole roster uh, at that level with that road. But when you talk about the colors and the way that it fit and, and all that stuff, and it, it was great to see I was there for that match. And, and you're right that it's in the Smithsonian um, and they did great work. Uh, for that robe, you know, it just, it wasn't quite as flattering uh, to him at that point in time, right, for his age at that match um, in the way that maybe, you know, it, it, it might should have been. Um, interesting story, uh, during that period before they started crafting that robe, um, I was actually in discussions with them where he wanted to actually wear the Starcade road for that match. Oh, he wow. wanted to wear, yeah, he wanted to wear it for that match. And so I was having, uh, an exchange with his, his wife at the time, which I think was number three, wife, number three. Yeah. Tiffany. Uh, yeah. He's married Tiffany at the time. Um, and, and this was during the period where television had just gone to HD and WWE was doing the whole WWE TV HD. And I told her, I said, I don't have a problem with him wearing it. And I think that'd be really cool. It's a nice bookend to his career. Um, you know, assuming that it, it ended there, um, which in my mind it did. But, yeah, um, you know, yeah, yeah. If he wants to bookend it there with that road, that's awesome. Great tribute. But uh, to talk about the condition again, I said, it's just not in the best condition and so now that they've gone to hd and those cameras are going to be right there i'm like you know when part of this robe's falling apart it's going to be visible and you probably don't want that at wrestlemania 24 you know so they decided to go a different route obviously and have have the robe made uh which was you know it, it served its purpose at the time but again kind of like you said you know you can see the difference between that and an original olivia walker yeah, yeah, her her stuff is just uh, so amazing, uh, amazingly made, and 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 you know if you go back and watch uh, wrestling, you know eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight, even WWF and NWA, um, immediately you can tell the ring jackets and the robes that she made versus uh, some that you know like like for instance, uh, you know their their jackets were nice, but you know they weren't Olivia Walker's, but I'm talking about the Von Erichs. Uh, the Von Erichs yeah. would come out in sequin jackets and half robes, and and even Carrie had that uh, in memory of David robe, uh, and it, which yep. which which was really nice. But you could tell none of that stuff was uh, Olivia Walker made. That's right. That's right. Yeah, her. Uh, she, you know, she gave an interview. I think they lived down in Atlanta, and I want to say it was like eighty four, eighty seven, somewhere thereabouts. Might have uh -huh. been eighty seven. I think she wanted, she gave an interview uh, with the Atlanta Journal Constitution. And, uh, you know, she kind of alluded to the fact she said, you know, I always would have liked to have made something for Liberace. And, yeah. you know, for as much as, as we've evolved in terms of entertainment and as a society, you know, a lot of people may not even know who Liberace is now. But if you do go back and you look at his, uh, some of his Vegas performances, and, you know, there was a movie with Michael Douglas. Um, and just his stage presence, right? And that's what we're we're talking about here in that presentation. He had some pretty doggone, you know, amazing 
outfits, you know, mm-hmm. Liberace up there, borderline Elvis level. Uh, and and I like to think that, you know, if she had the opportunity to make something for him with uh, sort of an unrestrained budget, uh, she could have held her own with any of those folks that made stuff for Liberace. I mean, you would have had, you know, Elvis, Liberace and Ric Flair. They all would have been in the same same bucket if she could have made made something for him. She definitely would have done it justice. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, now. Rick Flair also said before that uh, that he had um, contacted you about trying to buy that road back. Is is that true, or is he or is he just uh, telling some stuff on the on online? No, so I mean, there there's definitely been an interest there. Um, uh, you know, as I kind of mentioned earlier, you know, there was talk at one point of him uh, wearing the robe as far back as 2008, right for the. Uh, for the retirement match. So I I think, you know, at at this, you know, kind of my, my read on it has been uh, from him and and that side is that, you know, at this point, I think they, you know, he kind of realizes that, uh, you know, that was kind of the, you know, the, the, the crowning achievement, so to speak uh, in his career. And that is sort of the piece that, that kind of, uh, represents that achievement, right? Uh, at least for him, because you know he's gone on record as saying, you know, he won the title in '81, but he didn't really consider it, you know, as, as like his his sort of crowning moment until he he beat Harley in Greensboro at Starcade, and that was was kind of the representation of of what would become, you know, his career to follow. So I, I think now that as he's gotten older, he's kind of realized you know, this is sort of the trophy, right. That represents kind of the greatest moment, um, in my career. So yeah, there's definitely, uh, definitely been interest from him on that. That's awesome. So, uh, speaking of interest, uh, so you were, you were on the, uh, WWE's, uh, most wanted treasures. Uh, they, they gave you an offer of 60 grand for the boots and the robe, which, uh, which, which we both know is a low, was a low ball offer, but um, but either either way, they they made an offer. So since the show aired, um, have have there have they got back in contact with you? Uh, maybe maybe made another offer or, or express any interest of still wanting the robe. So you know, I think uh, the the way sort of the the conversation uh, goes there is that uh, I think there's always an understood interest in that um, either just from a simple preservation standpoint, right? Like this is a pretty important piece, maybe not necessarily in the history of WWE, but, you know, obviously we know uh, the way the NWA sort of unfolded into WCW and then WCW sort of transitioned into um the conglomerate of WWE. So I think for the most part, we, you know, for lack of a better word, we've kind of looked at WWE sort of as a caretaker, right. Of mm-hmm. not just Atlantic, not just Ric Flair, but in, in terms of, you know, if they purchased the library of world-class, right. They, they kind of uh, have to wear the white gloves, so to speak, to handle the legacy of the Von Erics and to handle the legacy of the Mid-Atlantic or Mid-South with Bill Watts. And so they're they're kind of entrusted with these different uh, 
territories that they may not have had an active involvement in at the time. Uh, but I think they recognize now more than ever that, you know, we're, we're kind of the caretaker of, you know, the last 50, 60 years of the business. And um, in 2023, that's more important now than it was in 1995 or 2000, right? So, right. Uh, fact they even produced a show about some of these articles um is a testament to their recognition that some of these things are pretty important and so um uh, you know with them we entered into a uh a, a, an active loan agreement type situation to where um you know obviously if there's a wrestlemania or a royal rumble and they say hey we're looking for this item and we know you've got it can you loan that to us uh for that period of time so we've had those ongoing conversations um as far as offers you know i think it's again always kind of understood that there's an interest there um i think it's more of a point of us uh kind of reaching an agreement uh to where we have to remember that wwe is um you know, at the end of the day, they're a business operation, and it's got to make sense for them, uh, whether that's signing, you know, a talent that they're going to invest in and put on television and produce and try to generate revenue from, um, or if it's, you know, a piece of memorabilia that we need to purchase for our archives, it's got to make business sense there. And so I, I think uh, that uh, sort of... Uh, metric of making sense that business sense has increased uh, in the last five years or so to the point where um, you know I know that they've got an interest in it the conflict comes in of you know sometimes the collector market uh, the fan base uh, sometimes has uh, more uh, vested emotional interest as we talk about you know the fans you mentioned you know you were at a Starcade 86, right? And uh, as I talked to some of these fans, they mentioned they were at Starcade 83. And so that they were there, they experienced it. And that was their moment. They were in Greensboro, they lived in, you know, a nearby town. And so there's more of an emotional attachment there for some of these fans uh, that may be willing to pay more on a collector's market uh, perspective than maybe what WWE is from a business perspective. But, um, I think WWE realizes now that uh, some of these things that maybe previously they didn't consider a viable investment, you know, really are important pieces uh, to to the tune of what, you know, the Baseball Hall of Fame, you know, has acquired relics uh, from private collectors. You know, if it was a Babe Ruth jersey or a significant bat or baseball um, that maybe 20 years ago they wouldn't have considered purchasing, but they recognize the significance of it. And I think WWE's kind of more at that point now than they probably have been in the last 10 or 15 years. So there's always interest there, I think. Yeah. That, yeah. That, 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 that's good. I mean, and I'm, I'm sure they'll, they'll probably reach out again and uh, in the future. Uh, but right now we, we, uh, you know, you're, you're doing a new, a new adventure, I guess. Um, you know, so so you you made the comment that you you you've loaned it to WWE and they've they've had it on display, but but now you're doing something at WrestleCade this year where the fans can actually get their picture taken with the robe. Now 
I know there, there's been speculation. People's talked about, oh, I can't wait to wear the robe. No, you're not wearing the robe, correct? You're you're standing beside the robe, taking your picture, uh, which I think is is totally amazing. Uh, is, is is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So you know, it, it's one of those things where um, you know, if we we talk about the Smithsonian and you know relics and Cooperstown and baseball and preservation and things you know there's always a i think ultimately um i like to think i'm kind of an an archivist at heart right like you know you uncover these relics and then you protect them and that's that's really the ultimate and then you share them with the people that appreciate them the most Mm -hmm. and so uh for as much as you know as as long as i've had the robe now 23 24 years you know it it stays in my home and it's, it's not really seen by a lot of people so in a way that's not really fair so you take the opportunity to share it with those that are going to appreciate it. But by the same token, you also have to protect and preserve. And as I've mentioned, you know, we're looking at, you know, a 45, 50 year old garment and it's already in a compromised position. So uh, the, the robe has never really been um, displayed publicly outside of um you know, WWE's had a couple of appearances, uh, at like a fan access or WrestleMania. Uh, we did an event, um, gosh, many years ago, about 15 years ago, uh, in the Greensboro area, right after Ric Flair's match with Shawn Michaels at, at WrestleMania 24. So, and, and that was really only a one shot event. So, uh, very limited public, um, consumption for the road, uh, and definitely nothing in recent years. So uh, kind of the ideas were, you know, taking it on the road and one of the big events, uh, at least for the Mid-Atlantic area, we've got a couple of events coming up um, November uh, 11th in the Virginia Beach area at um, a local card show, sports card, uh, trading uh, trading card event at the Virginia Beach Fieldhouse. Uh, the road's going to be on display and then um, back here on November 18th in Greenville, North Carolina, at another sports card event, um, and then kind of capping that off at Russellcade, right, which will be kind of the, the main event uh, showcase for the road. The first time uh, we've, we've brought it out, again, not to be able to wear, but we are going to have um, photo ops with the robe, um, a replica of the NWA belt, um, available at WrestleCade. All the information is is um, still kind of releasing on our Facebook page, which is uh, Ric Flair's uh, Starcade Road, Starcade eighty three Road um, on Facebook. Um, <clears throat> but the weekend of WrestleCade is going to kind of be the the main event where you can get your picture uh, with the robe and the NWA belt. Oh wow that that that's awesome! So. Uh, so not only are you getting your picture taken with the belt, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, with the robe, but now, uh, now, now you guys have added the, uh, a replica of the NWA title. So that can really take an, uh, an old school fan back in time. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, um, I was still kind of in the preliminary, uh, phases of planning, but, uh, we're going to have a little bit of a memorabilia display. I'll have a, pair of Ric Flair's uh, trunks from uh, about 1977-78 that he would have worn uh, in a match with Buddy Rogers. Of course, the Battle of the Nature Boys 
when when Buddy came into the territory uh, towards the end of his career, um, I've got a pink pair of his trunks that we'll have on display, along with the boots that he wore against uh, Ricky Steamboat of the Chi-Town Rumble in 89. Those will be on display as well with the robe. And, and what we're, uh, again, um, as we'll kind of put the asterisk up there, uh, card subject to change, uh, what I'm tentatively planning on right now is um, uh, finalizing a price point uh, to keep uh, the photo ops with the robe affordable to where um, if you take a picture with the robe in the NWA belt, you'll also get a uh, free uh, lapel pin that uh, we've had made of the robe. So you get this kind of cool little uh, free lapel pin, which is about a, you know, retail $15 value in and of itself uh, just for the pin uh, for taking a picture with the robe and the belt at Russellcade. So um, I'll have more uh, kind of finalized on that in the coming weeks as we work that out on the Facebook page. And uh, we also have the website, which is uh, flarerobe.com. Uh, all that information will be available there. But yeah, you get your picture taken. You got the robe, the belt, and you get a free lapel pin. I mean, that's pretty hard to beat. Yeah, man, that's that's that that's a that's a great deal all day long. Um, now, speaking of, of the Ric Flair robe, and uh, I, I know we've been talking about that for the for the on the show, but uh, my question for you also um, is: Is this robe the only robe that you've ever owned, or have you owned other Ric Flair robes? Yeah, so I've actually. Um, at one time, uh, before the the present state that we live in now, <laughs> um, at one time I had the the largest uh, private collection of Ric Flair robes um, outside of Ric Flair on on planet Earth, which was uh, three. So I've actually had three at one time, which wow. was of course the, the Star Cape robe um, that we're talking about here. I had the uh, gold robe, which was um, Kind of circa 1993, 92, 94. That's uh, W. That's, w. That's that's the one that that uh, WWE owns now, right? Yeah. So okay. I, I own that. I own the gold robe, and um, I'll give you the backstory on that one. And then I also owned um, a pink uh, robe as well. The the one that had all the beautiful peacock feathers and you know kind of the ornate uh, dark purple magenta silver pattern that he wore uh when he was in wwe for the first run and then he wore it also in wcw for a little while in the 90s and then he actually wore it again once or twice uh in wwe for a second run uh, around 2007 2008 but um going back to the gold robe um which i think originated around 88 89 um you know i had this really large velcro uh, belt buckle uh, for lack of a better uh description uh right in the front and center and then it had the puffy arm sleeves to it um so i had that robe and he uh he ended up getting that robe back and i think he wore it he probably wore it for at least once or twice on some some wwe uh productions you know, probably around 2007, 2008. Um, and then uh, he, uh, WWE ended up 
acquiring that robe and in sort of an agreement uh, with Ric Flair after I got rid of it. It went back to Ric Flair and then from Ric Flair to the ownership of WWE. And so they had that in their archives for um, a long time. I'm not quite sure if it's if it's still in their ownership or um, you know, kind of what the story is there uh, in recent years. Because sometimes, you know, they they make uh, deals uh, to to acquire other pieces of memorabilia. So sometimes uh, things are exchanged right between collectors uh, to to move pieces around and sort of an elaborate chess match, uh, so to speak. So right. uh, not quite sure about that now, but the the pink robe I also owned, and that was really a favorite of mine. Um, and had this uh, really nice velvet uh, pink sort of uh, almost bathrobe kind of tie to it in the front. And the the silk patterns inside, it was a beautiful robe. And um, I sold that robe privately probably around 2014. And then it changed hands sometime after that to where... Um, you know, I guess WWE produces these, uh, you know, uh, video games. 2K19, I think was what it was, WWE 2K19. And whoever produced that video game uh, actually purchased the robe and they cut it up to include pieces of the robe um, with the video game purchase. So you got like a, a special limited edition Man. Funko Pop. You got a piece of the robe in a, in a nice acrylic pack. And then, of course, the video game. So it was like a high-end package where you, you got that in there. But they ended up cutting that robe up. So, uh, wow. yeah. Um, and that was Olivia Walker uh, robe as well. But, yeah, I had three at one time. I had a gold one, a pink one, and then, of course, the Stargate, which I still have. Wow, that's that's a, that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, so so if if you could own any Ric Flair robe besides the Star K robe, which I, I'm sure I know which one it is, but I just want to ask you which 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 robe would it be? <laughs> you know, for as great as the Star K is, and I love it, and it represents you know everything that that makes me uh, warm and fuzzy inside about the you know, about pro wrestling, about Jim Crockett promotions, the mid-Atlantic area, Starcade 83, Ric Flair, all those things, right, are, are balled into one with the Starcade robe. My favorite Ric Flair robe of all time uh, has been this, um, I don't know what we would call it, but it, it's the purple, I'm a, you know, it's just the purple robe. Um, I don't think you ever wore, is, is I don't it, think you wore it in de- the uh, purple one with the really long sleeves. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It was almost like my, the pink robe that I had, um, but it was the purple version. It was completely covered in sequins mm-hmm. and it had this beautiful, you know, silver, light purple, dark purple pattern, uh, that, that beautiful silk inside of it. It was just always so elegant to me. And I don't know that it's, it's tied to like one particular match, but you obviously know the road that I'm talking about, but yeah. for some reason just, uh, always spoke to me. And I was just like, man, that is just a phenomenal road, you know, yeah. uh, to me. I think that's probably truthfully my favorite one of all time. Yeah, you know, I, I, if if I could think back, the first time I ever seen that robe uh, would have been 
the Great American Bash where he wrestled yeah. Terry Funk in his comeback. Uh, I that's think, probably I think that's that's probably the first time I I that I saw the rope. Yeah, yeah, it's man, it's just great. It's like just I, I don't know if it's just the fact that it's you know it's purple. It's just so elegant. Mm-hmm. But now I, I love. Did that. you ever ever get see that robe in person? You know, I've never seen that robe in person. I did know the gentleman uh, that had it originally, um, and then. Uh, he ended up and sold it, and I do know that a replica has been made by, uh, you know, a, a former uh, WWE costume designer, and he did, you know, a phenomenal job with the replica. Um, I think the replica was even on TV, maybe, um, within the last couple of years, and at, at first glance, you know, I kind of thought, oh, wow, this is, you know, the original robe, so that that speaks to the quality of the replica. Uh, but I've never had a chance to see that one in person. Um, so, I know where it's at now. I think I'd, I'd like to see it just because um, I used to have this poster hanging hanging in my in my room behind my door of Ric Flair that somebody gave me mm-hmm. wearing that robe. So, uh, so, did, so I'm trying to, so, to remember um, the f- so I saw that robe live. Um, at Starcade '93, when he worked Vader, um, he, okay, he wore it out, and all I can remember is when the lights hit it, like how much it sparkled. It was almost oh, like man. it was just, it, I, I, it, it, like I said, it's one of the things you got to see it in person. Um, you got to, but, but it was just amazing. Yeah, it's like, man, I want one of those, <laughs> and and, oh. and and I'll tell you, um. Early on in my wrestling career, um, I had went to this fabric store and they had all this sequin material. And I'm like, man, I, I need to get a robe made. So the girl I was dating at the time, her aunt or somebody, uh, made clothes. And she told me, she's like, yeah, uh, if if uh, you just go 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 get me a bathrobe pattern, um, I'll, I'll make it longer. And I'll make the sleeves bigger and, you know, and just, just, you know, get me a liner and get me, you know, wh- whatever color you want. And I remember walking into that fabric store and they had that same color of Everett Flair's robe, the fuchsia color. They had that color there. They had black and they had gold. And I said, man, and, 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 and of course, you know, I started wrestling like 93 and I went to Starcade and I said, I'm going to have a robe made that color. So, so she made the robe. And, uh, as a matter of fact, what I'll do whenever, um, I post this on Facebook, I'll, I'll get that. I'll get my robe and, and post a picture of it. Of course, it's nowhere near the quality of, uh, of Olivia Walker's, but it was still pretty cool. Um, you know, and I had that robe and, and, you know, early on in my wrestling career, I was, I was very shy. And it was almost like once I got that robe, man, I just kind of came out of my shell. And when I when she first made it for me, um, it had black. It, it was purple, and we we couldn't find feathers that were purple, so we so we decided to go with black. So she put feathers around the collar and around the sleeves, um, but they didn't last very long because she didn't sew those on. She just um, uh, what do you call it? She uh safety pinned it all, all the way around and years of putting it in my bag and taking it out. It, it, they, they, they came loose. So I just took the feathers off completely. 
Um, but uh, the, and I can tell you, I retired the rope. It's kind of a funny story. So when she made the rope for me, I debuted it in Thomasville, North Carolina, my hometown where I was originally uh, grew up. Um, I wore it out that night there uh, for for Ken Spence. I worked for Ken Spence. Um, I debuted it there for him. And then um, 20 years later or whatever it was, uh, Ken called me back, and they were doing this big reunion show in Thomasville. And, I, and of course, I hadn't wore that robe in a long time. And I said, you know, I think tonight would be a good time to retire that robe. So I wore that robe out again um, there in Thomasville for Ken Spence at his reunion show. And, um, and, it, and it was kind of funny, too, because when I debuted it, I worked the Lumbee Warrior, and when I wore it that night, I wore it against Lumbee Warrior again. So, so, it, so it had, you know, it it, it it made that little circle, which I, I thought was really cool. But uh, that robe has been in my garage now for about three or four years. It's still down there. So I'm gonna have to get it out tomorrow and take a picture of it and post it on the Facebook page. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you know the the thing I heard there was you know you mentioned. Uh, kind of your your confidence and, and kind of coming out of your shell, I think you said uh, something about that, about wearing the robe. And I think that's, um, at least for me, I think is is another significant point in, in what uh, Rick Blair's presentation sort of brings to the table, right? Because when I, when I first got uh, the Starcade robe, you know, I wasn't in the wrestling business yet. Um, you know, I, I went on to, to referee, uh, for many years and, and I'm still active in it today, but I think, you know, having that, that robe, um, or, you know, maybe in your case, having one made, uh, kind of, you know, gave you the confidence or, or definitely in my case, gave me the confidence to, you know, wear something, as ridiculous as that is, right? Right, yeah, but uh, it's true. And, and just wear it out and have the confidence to know that, hey, I'm, you know, as ridiculous as this looks, I I own this. I am this, you know, kind of kind of article of clothing represents who I am, how I feel, and I project that to the people. And and for me, you know, as as crazy as it was, I was telling somebody the other day. I said I remember. Um, when I bought the robe, I had, um, you know, I was probably 17, 18 years old at the time. And I had, uh, been buying and selling, uh, baseball cards for a long time from middle school to high school. So I'd been sort of building up my nest egg, uh, to, to, you know, have some money. I don't know what it was for or what it was to buy, you know, eventually I, it ended up being a Ric Flair road, but, um, when I did buy it and it came and it was delivered to the house on the front porch and I came home from school and I was in high school at the time, my mom said, you know, Hey, you've got this package from Colorado. What is it? And I was like, Oh yeah, it's a, it's a Ric Flair road, you know? And she's like, what is this foolishness? You know, we're, yeah. we're her work, you know, because it just seems so, just bizarre and different and it, it didn't fit into this, you know, idea of whatever, you know, maybe she had for me or what would the expectations were at the time. But, 
I had this interest there. And so when you get it, you get this, you know, kind of level of confidence. And then if you wear it and it's out there and you own it and you accept it as, Hey, this is who I am. And, uh, this is what I'm going to project to the people or whatever. It's a tremendous confidence booster. So I understand what you're talking about when you're talking about, you know, like I wore this out there to help me come out of my shell, now, which I think is part of what the appeal is with Ric Flair, right? Like that comes to that. Right. Yeah. Uh, same thing with Elvis, right? You know, you've got almost this working man mentality, but when he walks out on stage, it's like, man, you know, he's got all this, you know, sparkle and shine and man, that could be me. And you're really only like, you know, one degree of separation from, you know, greatness, right? And this, this article of clothing kind of represents that, that bridge that can get you over there. So I get what you're saying when you talk about that, because it, it kind of did the same thing for me. Yeah, because I remember when I was in middle school, uh, middle school is when I really, I mean, I become a big wrestling fan when I was in elementary school, but I become obsessed with it by middle school. In middle school, I knew, I, I didn't know how, but I knew at some point in my life I was going to be a wrestler because I would, I would, and I'm sure every every kid in America done this during this time. But 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 I live in this neighborhood, and I get all the neighborhood kids over, and we would like walk up and down the street. And whenever one of the neighbors or somebody was throwing out an old mattress, we would grab it, bring it down to, to my parents' backyard, and 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 we and we had this big fence around our yard. And so that mattress would go over there by the fence, and we'd take a tarp and put a tarp over the mattress. And we'd hang up a little bit of ropes and we, and, and then like we would, uh, and I don't even know why we did this, but like we, the, the, the there was a, a factory next door, uh, that, that, that did carpeting and we'd go over there and get their old carpet, uh, and then cut the carpet out in the shape of wrestling belts and take magic markers and draw on this piece of carpet and fold it up until it got broke in real good. So it folded like a belt. And then we, we would take like clothespins or something like that to, to put it around our waist or whatever. And But I was obsessed with wrestling, you know, uh, by the time middle school rolled around. And I, and, and, and if in middle school, if I knew and my parents would have given me the money, I would have bought a pair of wrestling boots and I'd have wore those things to school every single day because <laughs> I was just so obsessed uh, with being a wrestler and all, all of my friends knew how much I liked it. So once I got into high school, I started my wrestling training the summer of my junior year in high school. And once I graduated from, from wrestling camp and, and started having matches, um, a lot of my friends and, and I didn't even think about it, you know? Um, but I would run into friends from high school and say, Oh, by the way, you know, come down this Saturday night and wrestling at the armory. They'd be, they'd be like, well, that don't surprise us because we knew how much you love wrestling when we was in school. And we knew that so if you could figure out how to get in it, you would. And there you are. And, um, and, and, and that, that's how I was, man. I was so obsessed with it, uh, as a kid. And so, like you say, uh, having that piece, uh, you know, would definitely bo boost your energy. And like now, you know, I've got, I'm, I, I've sold more <laughs> than I probably have now of, boots and tights and belts and all the other stuff that goes along with wrestling. But, uh, but you know, I'm like you, I, I, I get it. I enjoy it. Now I want to pass it along, you know, pass it down to somebody else that might enjoy it just as much as I do. Um, and of course I sell it to get bigger and better things. So, um, 
so I, you know, when I look back over the years, I, I, I look at myself and sometimes I pinch myself. I'm like, you know, um, I, I, I grew up, you know, um, not, you know, I, I knew it, like I said, I knew I was going to be a wrestler. I just didn't know how. Um, but I once, but like once I walked into Kmart that day in 1992 and there stood Jimmy Valiant and I was like, Oh my God, that's the boogie woogie man. And, and my first question to him wasn't, Hey, how are you? Hey, how, how can I get in wrestling? That was my first question to him. And he said, kid, here's my phone number. Give me a call on Monday and I'll tell you. And man, my head went, it swelled so big. I came, I came home from school and I told my parents, I said, I'm not going to college next year. I'm going to Jimmy Vatt's wrestling camp. I'm going to be a pro wrestler. And my dad said, you're yep. going to, you're going to do what? So yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to, I'm not going to go to college now. I'm, I'm going to go to Boogie's camp. I'm going to be a wrestler and I'm going to be a millionaire. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I, I did, I did one of the two, you know, I never become a millionaire, but I did become a wrestler. And, and when I first started, you know, I had no idea, you know, I, I just thought I'd just be, you know, Jimmy Vag would be the most popular wrestler I'd ever knew. Uh, I'd be in the ring with him and that'd be it. But, uh, but I have got to live out dreams that I never even, even dreamed or, or ever thought would happen. Um, and then, uh, to be, you know, to, to, to get into it so much that, um, that, that I have the guys that I idolize as a kid say, Hey, uh, I'll work that show, but I'm not working anybody but Tony. Uh, you know, that's, that, that's, that's a heck of a compliment. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, we can always be our, our biggest, I know for me, uh, I'm my biggest critic, you know? Um, but, um, you know, I, I can have a good match, but in my head it wasn't good enough, you know, cause I'm always wanting to be better, but to have a, a wrestling legend that has been around and wrestled everybody, and they they say, hey, I'll wrestle, but I'm not wrestling anybody but Tony. Uh, that's that's that that's a that, that's a really good compliment. Yeah, no, no doubt. I think um, you know, you know, when you when you kind of give your perspective of you know growing up as a wrestling fan, I think that's uh, from from my side. That's one of the one of the areas I was kind of different in is that I didn't. Uh, I didn't necessarily grow up a wrestling fan, right? I didn't watch it um, as a kid. I watched Ninja Turtles. I watched Masters of the Universe. Um, you know, kind of loosely knew about wrestling in the background, but it was always a background thing. Um, grandparents watched it. Uh, you know, parents may have had it on in the background, but I didn't uh, grow up as a fan, so I, I kind of grew into it. And the, the confidence piece, you know, I think came from um, but when I when I first got the road, right, was kind of the, the transition piece to say, well, okay, I'm kind of loosely interested in this um, to, all right, now I've, I've got this thing and now, you know, what are you going to do with it? And then you start to meet, kind of like you mentioned with Jimmy Valiant, you start to meet people in the business and then it, it kind of got me in the business of professional wrestling and then you get you know a different perspective right um from where maybe in your case somebody says you know hey i only want to wrestle tony if i'm going to be on the show and and that's a good you know tip of the cap so i i went from you know not even being a fan really to you know loosely following wrestling to being a fan of rick flair to 
owning this piece of history to them being in the business, right? Which is kind of this this almost windfall of, um, you know, windfall of a story to even be involved. So I've I've yeah. just kind of been been lucky along the way, right? And then and then to go on and say that you're you're the only person you know that that ever owned, you know. Well, you 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 own three or three of Ric Flair's robes. That's that's that that's also pretty impressive. Well, you know, I was, I, I, like I said, I wasn't a fan growing up, but um, uh, I started. Uh, I, I played tennis in high school. I was a I was a tennis player, and my sophomore year, I got um, had a torn meniscus in my knee, and so I couldn't play for most of the season. I was out, and. During that period when I would rehab and back and forth to the orthopedic, uh, at that time, you know, you could rent uh, videos from Blockbuster. Right, yeah. And this this would have been the height of the Monday Night War, so you're talking 97, 98. So there's a lot of content out there that you could get your hands on in terms of rentals. And I just, you know, the Monday Night Wars were hot, so the content was engaging, even if I wasn't a wrestling fan. And my my parents had both experienced wrestling, you know, in the seventies. Rick Flair, Ricky Steamboat. Um, my mom had been to matches at Norfolk Scope, and she had seen, um, you know, Flair and Steamboat. So again, it was always in the background. But now I'm injured. I can't really play. I've got nothing to do. I'm rehabbing. She rents me a bunch of videos, you know, and it's all WWF. Coliseum home videos. I start to watch it. Then present day, you've got the Monday Night Wars going on. So there's still WWF and there's WCW, but the one guy that just stood out above everything else is Ric Flair. And even though I wasn't a fan and you know, you're still kind of this awkward teenager trying to kind of find your way in the world. You've got this Ric Flair guy. That's just, you know, the, the billboard of confidence, right? And, you know, he's got the hair and he's got the robes and, you know, he's still talking about the girls and all night long and Space Mountain and all that stuff. And I'm just like, man, this dude's just cool as hell. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just attracted to that. And then you get the the robe and now it's like, well, hell, you know, you got a piece of, you know, the emperor's new clothes. You put it on and you're going to be just like the emperor. And so that gave me that boost of confidence that I needed, you know, not just through you know, maybe childhood, adolescence, but then it's like, all right, do you, do you want to get involved in this wrestling thing? And it, and it gives you that confidence. And I think that, um, you know, even if you don't have a Ric Flair road, that's the beauty of wrestling. It just, it, it speaks to, uh, anyone, uh, really on any level in any language, right? You don't have to speak English. You don't have to speak Japanese, German, or understand any kind of complex formula to understand who's good or bad or who's confident or who's not. And there's just certain representations that speak universally. And so I think that's always been the appeal with wrestling. It'll continue to be the appeal with wrestling. And uh, you don't have to have a certain net worth or a certain intelligence level to understand it. And so as it speaks to those kind of just grassroots levels, you know, um, obviously you've talked about what it does, it's done for you, what it's done for me. Uh, just be involved in the business to to go from not even being a fan to uh, ending up in the ring one day with Dusty Rhodes or Harley Race or Ric Flair to having Charlotte Flair at your house. I mean, right. that's just an unbelievable 
an unbelievable story that I never could have fathomed, you know, as a 17, 18 year old kid. And then it ends up happening. Uh, that's just the beauty of wrestling, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you know, you, you spoke to that. So yeah, good stuff. I, and you know, you're talking about, um, about, you know, the, the, the way Ric Flair was on TV, man, I, I would steal his lines when I was in middle school and I would say it to like all the girls that I was liking or whatever. And I'd just, yeah. I remember, I remember saying the first time I said to a girl, you can't be first, but you could be next. And she's like, what, <laughs> you know, but you know, a lot of people didn't watch wrestling. So I, that, you know, when I, when I say those Ric Flair lines, they'd be like, man, this Tony guy's a cocky son of a bitch, you know? And, right. and, and I, 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 I thought it was funny, you know, and I was just mimicking the things he would say. And, uh, and, and then I, I remember by the time I got to high school, uh, me and another one of my friends were, were, we both were big wrestling fans. And so, uh, we would sit down and, uh, if he had a girlfriend or I had a girlfriend or whatever, and, and he'd always say, Hey, uh, come on. Hey, he'd call me on the phone. Cause, cause I live right next door. Hey, Tony, man, come on over here. Uh, I, I need you to help me write a Ric Flair letter to this chick. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I'd come over there, man. And me and him would, you know, cause this is before cell phones and computers and all that stuff. And so we, we'd sit down, and he'd say, "All right, so t- tell me some, tell me some, some Ric Flair one-liners, and I'm gonna write that down in this letter." And 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 of course, you know, we're writing this letter up to this to this chick, and then vice versa, he'd say, "Hey man, uh, I need to break up with this chick. Uh, come on over, let's uh, let's uh, write 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 her a full horseman letter." So 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 to get the girl, it was the Ric Flair letter. To break up with her, it was the full horseman letter. Uh, and then, right. and then he and I just like, like we would, we, we didn't know the, the words, you know, the, the kayfabe words in wrestling, but, but, but we had our own and, and it, and it was always me, him, his brother, and another guy named Wayne. It was always together. And we we'd tell everybody that, you know, we are the full horsemen of our high school. And if you fight one, you got to fight the other three. And, and, and we kind of live by that, you know? And, uh, so, so, you, so looking back at the wrestling thing is like, like, you know, I, I'll, like I said, I always knew all along somehow or another I was going to get in there. Uh, I just didn't know how, but I knew once I, once I figured it out, I was, I was going to do everything I could to, to, to make it happen. And then even when I first got in and started wrestling, they like, well, you know, you're 125 pounds. You're definitely not going to be wrestling. You're too small. I'm like, bullshit. I, I, I can do this, you know? And, um, so for the first six months that I was training, um, I'd go work at this other promotion as a manager. Uh, and then, but once I learned to throw punches, I would throw a punch and, and they, the, these other workers would be like telling the promoter, man, you've got to put Tony in there. That's that, that little dude has got the, the prettiest punch in the world. And, uh, so he's like, no, no, he's too small. He's too small. So finally, he's like, uh, I said, man, I want to wrestle. So he says, I'll tell you what, Tony, if, if I if I ever get any small guys to come in and work, I, you know, I, I'll let you work. Well, just so happened, uh, a couple months later, as as fate would have it, um, he calls me on the phone and he goes, hey, Tony, ma- make sure you come to the building, you know, a couple hours early this Sunday because uh, I've got a guy coming in from Smoky Mountain Wrestling and I'm going to put you against him. And I'm thinking, oh man, I'm gonna be working with Heavenly Bodies, Rockwell Express. You know, I didn't know I was so so young and green. Um, but it turns out there was a guy that used to work up there for Smoky Mountain. He was a referee. Um, his name, his real name was Daryl Morris, 
And um, he and um, what was the guy that uh, uh, went to w- WCW? Um, he was a referee, too, uh, up in WCW. Uh, what's that? Brian Hildebrand, Mark yes. Curtis. Mark Curtis, Mark Curtis. So uh, so he and Mark Curtis would do popcorn matches for Smoky Mountain House shows. Um, uh, so Daryl, uh, who I'm talking about, uh, he would wear a hood and call himself Flash. And he was just like, mm-hmm. the, he was just the heel. He was just a, you know, just a heel. And, um, but uh, Mark Curtis would, would wear this um, um, Teenage, Mut- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle costume. Yep. And and yep. they would have these great matches, and so uh, so Jeff uh, at the time the promoter Jeff he's like Tom, I'm gonna put you with Daryl, uh, and just listen to Daryl man and he'll help you out, and so I get in the ring with Daryl or I'm in the back with Daryl we're talking everything over and he's like all right can you do this no, uh, can you do a, a sunset flip uh, no, <laughs> what can you do. I, I, I can throw a punch, <laughs> you know, and, and I kind of right like from that moment on, Daryl's like, you know, Tony, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take you under my wing and I'm going to teach you. And, um, so I was getting double wrestling training. I'd go to Boogie's camp on Sunday and train there. Then I'd go, then the next Saturday I'd go back to Morganton. I'd train with Daryl. And so I was, you know, getting double training at the same time. And then finally, when I really learned to work, Daryl's like, man, Tony, uh, you and I are going to have a great match. And then I think he got mad at the promoter because um, he was wanting to get paid more money. And the promoter's like, well, I can't really do that. And so uh, so he just went back to Smoky Mountain. And, uh, and of course, he never came back around. And I was so pissed because uh, at that, cause once he left, there was no more small guys for me to work, which meant I wasn't working anymore uh, for a while. So... Uh, but, but, but it's so funny how, how, you know, how things happen in your life that you, you, you don't, you like, like in your mind, you say it's going to happen. You just don't know how. And then once it happens, you're like, oh yeah, okay. I knew this all along. <laughs> I just didn't know how to get there, but I'm here now. That's right. And it's just, it's, it's just amazing thing. So, well, uh, I guess we're going to start wrapping up this podcast and it's, it's been really cool learning all this stuff about the robes and and uh and and how we all kind of intertwine with each other um but tell the people at home one more time uh of of how they can get all the information on on how to see this robe in person yeah so uh two you know two primary outlets uh there's uh www.flarerobe.com that's our main website and uh pretty soon we'll be launching um a uh, a merchandise outlet there where you can purchase uh, some of the items that we offer from the lapel pins I mentioned earlier to uh, actual relic uh, plaques that can be displayed or uh, trading cards as well. Um, And then also we're active uh, right now on Facebook with the uh, Ric Flair Starcade 83 Rogue. Uh, you can look that up, um, and from there, you know, we talked about a lot of our appearances we've got coming up uh, throughout the Mid-Atlantic area with uh, Virginia Beach, Eastern North Carolina, and then, of course, uh, kind of capping that off with Wrestlecade um, right after Thanksgiving this year in November. Wow, so so a lot of a lot of chances to come out and see this robe or, and get your hands on it 
on relics and lay, on, on and the the uh, lapel pins and all the all the great stuff that um that uh that connects you to this robe and uh who knows that you know after starcade that 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 you know it could could be the last the last chance you get to be able to get your picture taken uh with this gorgeous work of art uh so i highly highly recommend if you come to wrestlecade definitely do the uh the uh, photo op with the with the with the belt and who knows if I'm there, I'll, I'll even do a photo op with you for free if if you buy the ticket to uh, to. <laughs> nah, uh, but 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 seriously though, uh, definitely get your picture taken this road because it's 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 definitely going to be a great memory for anybody that does it. Yeah, it's a it's a piece of history, you know. As as odd as it sounds, I've had it living in my house, and with the exception of maybe once or twice, I don't think I've ever taken a picture with it. Wow! So I should probably do that myself at wrestlecade yeah so if i'm gonna be the first one you should be there too for sure it's it's it's, it's definitely going to be something really cool to see and and i'm sure the line for that is going to be just as long as the line to see any any of the stars there uh at wrestle longer it'll be longer than the line at space mountain that's right that's right uh, it, it, people, you you don't have to go to Disney World to get your picture taken with the robe. You can come to come to absolutely. All right, Wes. Well, thank you for your time, man. I I really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, like I said, fans, make make sure that you uh, go go to his sites and check out uh, all this information on the robe. I will also uh, put the uh, the uh, links in into the uh, description of the podcast, so there's no excuse that uh, you didn't hear or you didn't write it down. It'll be there for for you to click on. Uh, if you read the uh, description of our podcast, but uh, Wes, thank you again, man, for coming on the show. Uh, I think this is the second time you've been on my podcast, and uh, and I, I I always enjoy talking to you, and uh, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing you at Wrestlecade. Absolutely, Tony. I appreciate you, man. Look forward to seeing everybody. All right, guys. For Wes, I'm Tony. We'll see you next week here on the Binge Buster Show. Thank you for listening to The Binge Buster Show. Make sure you like us on Facebook and download us on your favorite podcast platform.